Hello, this is John Renaud, and you're listening to the Mobile Radio Carnival via the CEF.world. Check us out, Uncommon Genius for the Common Types. This is Tim here from Vancouver, Canada, from the band The Mighty One, and you're on the Mobile Radio Carnival. My God, that was fantastic. I thank you so much for doing that introduction, Tim. It's great to have you here on the show. I I honestly don't know where to start with you. I was going to ask where you're at, but you already covered that for me. So uh, (laughs) I'll try not to be thrown for a loss. You are a really interesting guy uh, from my standpoint. I love the way that you sing. I'm a little fixated with what exactly you do because you really seem like you're more in the heavy rock genre, yet sometimes when you sing songs, they're just lyrically beautiful. And, and you seem to be able to morph your voice a bit from, from one type of song to the next type of song, yet remain yourself. Where does that come from, brother? Um, you know, I, I honestly, I, I don't know for sure, but I know it's, it's, my, it's my love for different kinds of music. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, I love my my heart is totally with with hard and and heavy music. I love loud guitars. That's that's what that's what made me fall in love with with music in the first place. But you know, I'm also I'm also that guy who can pick up an acoustic guitar and and sing that sweet song. And I and I think it kind of comes back to where I came from because I, I grew up in uh, in northern British Columbia here in Canada and. Um, and my my musical background started in the church. Right. You and, know what? It's funny you say that because I can I you know I kind of feel that now that you said that because it's uh, some of your music is really like uh, very it, it kind of has that essence of 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 a, a choir vibe yet some of it is still like uh, what is it the song dream is that one of your early songs that you did dream is that the name of the song. Uh, from you talking from the, this last record or or no from some of your earlier work where it's just you and the acoustic and it's this beautiful song and it's like a working class vibe too i mean you have this interesting nuance change that you do from song to song i guess mm-hmm. that's what i'm rambling about i'm sorry i yeah. cut you off you were talking about it came from the church yeah well i mean you know i mean obviously you know i like a lot of the background vocals you hear on 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 all all three records are you know based on what i what i learned as a as a kid in different parts of harmony working in the choir as you said yeah. you know so yeah. that comes that comes across that's one of my what i sort of would say one of my signatures for sure um and but but when you talked about the morphing of the voice you know again i i i kind of feel very dynamic in my creativity where even though my heart and my my soul is in this heavy rock vibe yeah. there is this part of me that that comes from from this 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 clean acoustic type of yeah which 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 it shows up at a few times in in the three records it's so interesting you were use the word clean because when i hear your voice it has a and i i I didn't really want to put it out this way because i was afraid maybe it would offend a guy who's like a hard rocker but you have this you have this clean quality to your voice like it's not it's your voice and there's not a lot of affectation and there's not a lot of stuff that, that gets in the way of what you seem to do with your voice. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, for sure. Absolutely. And Absolutely. It's, it's, it's really beautiful. And I think in a way, it's kind of rare that you can pull off the heavy aspects as well as, as like I say, when you sit down with an acoustic, it's this beautiful lyrical thing. Um, and I don't feel like it's a different performer, right? It's not like you're doing a different character per song. It's still you. Do you mm -hmm. feel like your fans dig that aspect of you? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I I think that, you know, the feedback I've got so far is that they do. But also, I think that there's also some confusion sometimes where, you know, we, we like to put our artists that we're listening to, we like to put them in some kind of a structure of understanding. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that's been been one of the things that maybe has been a challenge throughout my career, is that I'm not people have a hard time putting me into those boxes. Yeah. You, so, you don't fit a box. That's for sure. <laughs> and so, and so that, that can, that can also be a little bit debilitating to, uh, to a music career because people want to have an understanding yeah. um, of, of who they're listening to and where they can go, okay, I'm, this is going to go, you know, in this section of my music collection, you know, and, and where I'm, I'm kind of a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm hard to pin down that way. I think, you know, in a way you're actually not, but I understand what you're saying because you're definitely kind of um, just a rock guy and, and it's pretty easily understood after about three songs, no matter what you're doing, mm -hmm. that, that you're a rock guy. You started, um, the if, if I got this right, your first band was called Unchained and you actually signed a contract with Paul Stanley, That's if correct. I understand the story. Would you be able to elaborate a little bit on that? Sure, sure. The band was called Unchained because it, it was a, actually a Van Halen tribute band uh, for a number of years. And, and we had some great success uh, throughout North America with that, especially when Van Halen, when, when David Lee Roth left Van Halen and we were Unchained was very much like if you heard the song, hear the song Unchained, it's really the antithesis of of who old school Van Halen was. Yeah. And so we really captured that vibe and, and had some great success with that. And then it just, it just kind of morphed into this, into this uh, original project, which was basically, okay, let's bring back that old school essence of Van Halen you know, because we were kind of sick of the whole Sammy Hager thing. And there was a lot of people that were, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? The purest. I was too, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> and and so we started writing songs like, okay, let's write songs that, you know, if, you know, if, if, if uh, classic Van Halen would write this song, what would it sound like? Right. And, um, mm -hmm. and then, yeah. And just, just by chance, uh, Kiss was, Kiss was in town. Um, I think it was Hot in the Shade tour. I think that was in the mid eighties mid to late 80s and um and uh we we were able to get a tape to eric carr who was staying at the four seasons hotel and we after the show we went down there and got a chance to sit with him and got him the tape and Paul so when you say when, when you say four seasons was that here in la or was it up up in canada no this is in vancouver gotcha vancouver, yeah yeah gotcha that's fantastic and then and then they brought you into the studio and worked with you there is that how it worked well, I mean, you know, I mean, the, it was a really a, a, you know, a childhood dream come true because, I mean, you know, Kiss was the band. Destroyer was the album that kind of blew it wide open for me at age 13. And then, you know, so now to, to get a call from Paul Stenner the next day after, after dropping this tape to Eric Carr, the drummer, you know, getting a call from Paul Stanley from the tour bus, probably on one of those big brick phones, I would imagine. Yeah, the point. box in the car type of thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> and, and saying, hey, you know, would you boys like to come to uh, to Seattle tonight and be our guests? We, we'd love to have you. And and uh, and then, yeah, just just working towards uh, towards a, a deal with uh, with Polygram and and Paul Stanley management. It was it was it was totally a dream come true. That had to be cool beyond belief, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm a musician, but you don't know that. So I didn't have that record contract that you're talking about. <laughs> and, and I can totally relate only from afar how, how exciting that must be to actually live, live it out and have it come your way. Kudos to you guys, man. I mean, that must have been oh. a cool, cool experience. John, John nothing, nothing will ever, the, the, like it's burned into my brain. Yeah. Getting, getting getting to LAX, getting off the plane, having the chauffeur there, take us out to the limo, sticking our tape in the tape player and yeah. driving down Sunset Boulevard, listening to our music, going to meet Paul Stanley at the hotel. I mean, that's freaking cool. That? Yeah, that's freaking cool, man. <laughs> that is. So what, what does a person do after they've landed on the moon? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so you ride that out for a couple of years. I, I assume that 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 newness of that level um, mm -hmm. must have just been kind of overwhelming, and all of your recklessness and all of your artistic um, uh, vision. I'm sure you know you got to kind of play with both of those at the same time. And did you find it freeing, or did you eventually find that type of lifestyle what it turns into for a lot of rock guys where Maybe it was, I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It was, it was a, a very big high that ended on a very low, low for just that, that, uh, that uh, event in LA, because we had a singer who, uh, you know, we were, the lead vocals were going to be put onto the, onto the tracks at the end. It was really, you know, he did a little bit of a, you know, scratch track or whatever for us to work with, but we worked for two weeks, you know, drums and bass and all the, all, everything, background vocals, everything, everything, everything. Okay. now it's time for the vocals. And I had been watching, like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a good judge of, of, of character. And I saw how nervous the singer we had at the time was about that right. experience. And sure enough, when it came time for him to sing, he, he fell apart. Oh my and gosh. That's terrible. Yeah. yeah. I'll never forget, you know, um, Paul Stanley turning around to us sitting there, you know, he set up the, the, the talk back to the studio and he'd turn around and he goes, you guys need a new singer. Yeah. And, um, that was a free fall. That went into yeah. went into a few few years of free fall as we as we looked for the next David Lee Roth. Right. Uh, man. <laughs> and by the time we found him, you know, the first Nirvana was record was out and, and that was it. It was yeah. done. It was That's over. Crazy, man. And by by the way, why couldn't you just get David? I'm sure he was looking for something to do at that time, right? No, nah, he was pretty busy with what he had. I'm yeah, I'm, I'm totally kidding, man. <laughs> that that cat always figured something out. He landed on his feet every time, even though it looked Billy, reckless, Billy but... Sheehan, and oh my god, he had he had everybody working for yeah, him. Yeah, he had it figured out. So did you guys, man? That that's 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 terrible with the cat who uh, you know couldn't cut it in the room. I, I I assume he was a buddy of yours as well at that point in time. He was, he was, but he was always, you know, I mean, as as singers can oftentimes be, he was he was definitely an odd cat. But I had smelled that there was something going wrong even right. prior to us getting down there, 
because well, Paul Stanley actually came, flew up to Vancouver and we did pre-production here. My aunt had a restaurant in, uh, in North Vancouver. Um, and, um, and in the back was this little room where, where, you know, you could have like performances and, and bands played there. And that's where we rehearsed sometimes. And we did pre-production with Paul Stanley there. And I noticed already at that point yeah. that there was going to be some issues, but you know how it is. You, you don't want to blow the deal but we blew the deal. Oh man. <laughs> so then you have to regroup, obviously. Yeah. So, I mean, once the grunge thing happened and everything like that, I mean, at that point already, I had stepped in, in a pretty big way. I mean, it was already, already a, a very big part of the songwriting force, but now I had stepped right in, in a big way with, with writing and singing the demos that we were sending to Paul, yeah. new stuff. And, and so, you know, when things fell apart, I just, I just stepped into the role. I went, you know what, I'm going to do this on my own. The drummer and I, we, we left the, the guitar player that we were with and we started our own thing. And, and so there was many now for, for years, it was many different versions of, you know, what I really ultimately wanted it to turn into, which in the end was the mighty one. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that that happened for you that way in the sense of like you turned into the mighty one. What's <laughs> what's not to love about that name you gave yourself? I got to hear you tell the story of of how you came up with that. I would like to have you reiterate it if if you would. How did you come up with the term the mighty one? Oh, yeah. So this was again, this was now, you know, even you know, trying to keep a band together when you've got a strong vision of of what you want to do can be really tough but i still had this idealist you know approach where i wanted to have you know four guys in the band but yet i wanted to be the sort of the creative control guess what that don't work it doesn't cut it huh <laughs> everybody <laughs> wants to have their piece everybody yeah. wants to have their input because you know that makes them feel part of it and so they, these things just kept falling apart and falling apart where finally even even my best friend and and drummer who who passed away a few years ago oh, i'm sorry cancer, to hear that yeah sorry. um even even he i i finally had to let go because now i you know had more uh i had a higher level of expectation yeah. for what the drum should be. And he wasn't meeting that. And so I even had to, had to let that go. And then I just, that's when I became, I went, you know what? It's just me. I'm the mighty one. And that's just who I am. And I just, I really took that on. And I was super, super lucky because I had um, Devin Townsend here in my recording studio that I built he was um, he was putting out uh, the first Devin Townsend band album, which was called Accelerated Evolution. And in trade for for them doing their work down there, I got Dev to um, produce the first single, Reprieved, from the first record. And the Devin Townsend band was my band. That's fantastic, man. You know what? Since you brought up Reprieved, I think it's a good time to put it into the show. Excellent. Fantastic. Here we go with that. Rank it up.
That is a hell of a song, man. That is rock and roll. That is, I am from Detroit, so I do understand the kiss phenomena. <laughs> yes. Um, and I would not say in any way really do you per se sound like the overall ambiance of kiss but you have the same rock and roll drive that they have mm. when i hear when i hear one of your songs that is one of these driving rock and roll songs so i can understand why they were like yeah these guys got something going on because i assume part of that nuance was there even in the earlier bands but what a great song um i did catch the video for this too and i think it's a pretty cool video who takes care of your video work is that something that you basically have a concept for and you throw it at someone or does someone come in and design something for you you know, everything is everything has just sort of been 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 pieced together of the years. I mean, Reprieve is probably one of the most highest uh, um, production videos had to date. The nice thing was, as I was working in the film industry, I had a had a business in the film industry doing cleaning. So we cleaned sets. And after, you know, people were in houses, we would clean their houses, you know, we studios. I had this this, you know, monopoly in the Vancouver uh, movie business in its in its heyday in the uh, in the early early to late 2000s and um and so i was able to you know basically beg borrow steal barter with my folks I mean, my friends in the in the in the film industry and that's how we were able to put that video together oh yeah it looks pretty slick actually it looks pretty it does look very high end and yeah, a little uh, movie-ish right you yeah, know yeah and it, it's cool <laughs> it's got a really cool vibe it's really kind of straightforward in a, in a rock and roll way which is that kiss thing if you ask me that's yeah totally. that, was their, that was their thing man it's just like this is just straightforward rock and roll yeah. you know tighten your head cans and give it a listener better yet come see us in a show you know i actually ran into those guys as a kid i went into a uh, uh in detroit i went into a uh, convenience store and these cats were all like twenty thousand feet tall you know, because they had their lifts on and they were dressed in their their character. And it, it and like, wow, these are the strangest. You know, I was just a little kid at the time. These are the strangest guys on the planet I've ever seen. And then they walk out and get into the limo to go to do their show. And I just I'll never forget having that experience of, of seeing them in their makeup pre-show. I didn't oh, get to see I didn't get to see that particular show because I was a little on the young side. But uh, right. Right. What what an amazing kind of like uh, you know seventies splash of rock and roll they were, man. They were, you know what? It's just again, I I can't tell you how much of an influence they had on me on on so many levels, not just just musically and creatively, but you know because I grew up in this in this religious environment, you know it was like oh wow was, yeah it became a major problem. I remember coming home uh, from school one day. I think it was I don't know probably grade grade six or seven i think it was grade seven anyways i came home from school and and there's my my parents sitting at the table and it's the middle of the summer and you know i met my dad should be out in the field working or whatever and and there's the kiss album on the on the kitchen table and i'm like uh-oh and i've been listening to this oh, thing no <laughs> i've been listening to this thing in secret right for, oh no <laughs> for for months for months i've been listening to this thing and they said tim you know sit down you know they're old school german right oh Tim, my down. god we need, we need to talk and you know and you know that you're listening to satan's music your kiss stands for you know knights and satan's service this is a, this is evil evil stuff and we want you to burn this record like oh my a burn, gosh a burn barrel right because you didn't have a garbage service so we had to burn our garbage so we want you to burn this album and uh 
uh, actually told Paul the story. He laughed so hard. He said the best, but he, you know, I, I said to my parents, I'm, I'm like freaking out. We're like, what am I going to do? You know, like, oh my God, this album means so, you know how it is as a kid, right? Yeah. When you yeah. fall in love with something, it's like, oh my God, how am I going to hang on to this? And I, I hatched this little plan in my head. And I, I, I said, I begged my parents, I said, let me listen to it one more time. That's all I want, just one <laughs> oh. more time. And they finally, they finally gave in. Okay, you can listen to it one more time. And I, oh. and I went over to the record player and I put on my Sears, you know, those big white Sears headphones. I don't know if you remember those at all. Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I sat down and I'm listening to it. And as soon as they left the room, man, I took that album off. I pulled out one of their classical records. Oh I man! Shoved, <laughs> I shoved the vinyl inside of it. <laughs> and and then and then. And then took and then took the the Kiss record and hit it in the back of the records because the records go in in a vertical way, oh, and I stuck it in the back horizontal, and then went out to the burn barrel to pretend like I was sad and burning my record. And then then I then it was a really dirty little secret that I just listened to when nobody was. Oh man, Satan had touched you at that moment. <laughs> there is no doubt, brother. <laughs> that is a crazy story, dude. That's a great story. That's that non-secular music. That is Satan, my friend. <laughs> Did you ever confess that to your parents at a later date? Oh, my God. I, 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 we're sitting in the living room, and it's my dad's 60th birthday. I'd come off the road to come and, and join them for, for the birthday. And, um, and everybody's telling stories about my dad. And I told the story about this album. And what had happened, and of course, everybody's faces are getting, like, eyes are getting wider and wider. And then I, and then I went over to the record record uh, table where the records were, and I and I pulled out the records and I pulled out the album, and I thought my dad was going to oh, out. That's hysterical, man. <laughs> and then he just laughed like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, it was it was the best. It was the best. oh my god, that's a great story. <laughs> And he, he's like, he's like, you know what? You turned out okay. If you listen to a little bit of that, maybe I was a little too tight on you about that one. That's hysterical, man. Paul Stanley loved that story. Who wouldn't? I, I am so glad <laughs> you shared that story. That's a real rock and roll tale there. It's that like, is a real rock and roll story right there. Yeah, there were no uh, choir ladies, ladies singing <laughs> in the background of those songs. I got to say, it, it's, it's interesting to me because uh, in Detroit, you know, Rock City, you know, we had like four rock stations <clears throat> and I worked at one for some years and I, some of the songs, some of the music we played so much <clears throat> that I actually got tired and fatigued of listening to some of the, cause we would play in, in rotation, a lot of the same music. And there were three, I thought about it when I looked at talking to you and there were three bands that I actually became to a point where I could not hear anymore. One was the Beatles uh, one was Bob Seger mm -hmm. and one was kiss because we just, we played the hell out of them, you know? And it's yeah. like, it was like, I'd have to listen to, um, uh, classical music on the ride home to kind of, to, to kind of deprogram myself, <laughs> if that makes sense. But yeah, in Detroit, they were so, so well loved. I, I don't believe that originally, I think they're from New York, but they sure did like, uh, Detroit and they, they, they we thank them every time by showing up, you know? You know, and, and it, it just, I mean, even just recently, you know, watching this show in Dubai, I mean, not, not, nothing has changed about this. Yeah. It is just absolutely phenomenal. And it is crazy, uh, crazy yeah. cool. I'm so, I'm so happy for them.
Well, so how does a fellow end up on Yorg's World? Uh, that's one of the places, that's where I kind of met you, was I got to watch the show with all those talented, amazing musicians that he brings mm. on. You were in one, and I believe you did do an acoustic song, which blew me away because of the vocal quality that we were talking about that you have. It's just alluring in a way because it 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 kind of, main, it's simple, but it maintains a lot of, just qualities to it, you know, several different qualities when you sing. So how did Jorg end up um, convincing you to join him on Jorg's world? Well, first of all, thank, thank you so much for your, for your, um, for your flattering comments. I really appreciate that. And I'm glad you watched the show. Um, yeah. Jorg, uh, I met through, um, through my, my friends, Grant and Barbara, who have the radio show in New Zealand. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. A galaxy 107. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, they are just the ultimate matchmakers, those guys, like just, they've been so amazing with, um, with, with playing uh, the Mighty Ones music. And then we, um, they hooked me up with a uh, band Viking Queen. I'm right. not sure we interviewed them yeah. yet. But, yeah. Um, and then, and then from Viking Queen, it was like, okay, you got to meet York, got to meet York from Germany. And I just signed a record deal with um with saol in germany uh-huh. and i went oh yeah this is perfect and then and then met jorg and i started checking him out and i'm just like wow this guy's amazing yeah he and is and then yeah and then and then being able to be on his show again with all of those the the depth of of musicians that that he you know that he's able to to bring into his universe is is amazing so it was it was a real honor and um, yeah, I really enjoyed being on the show. Yeah, it it it, it he did have a, just a stack load of uh, amazingly talented people. There's a thing. Uh, I'm a singer. Uh, I'm I'm a guy. I write a little on guitar, mostly on keyboards. Um, mm. And the reason why I never played an instrument in a band is because I I would get to a level that's good yet there was always these guys that could play instruments like breathing and i could i just i just so i'm like well hell i understand music maybe i can sing and so i drifted over it into to vocals and i guess it's a roundabout way to ask you do you, you're at a level you're at a heightened level of ability does that did, is that is there a moment in time that you realize that as an artist, like you have capabilities that other people don't have. Even if we take the story of you taking over your own band or deciding that you needed to push yourself beyond where everyone else was, is there a moment where you realize you're that person? Hmm. Um, I mean, did the question make sense? I know it was loaded with a no, lot. No, no, and I'm just and I'm just taking that in. I'm just taking that in. I'll, I'll tell you where I think my my strong parts are. The parts that I don't really have to put any effort in are are to do with with vocal and harmony. Um, but when it comes to guitar, I mean, really, I've never really truly been a guitar player. Right. You know, I'm, I'm sort of a, a bass player that picked up a multi-string, you know, you know, more of a multi-stringed instrument. Um, when I found the seven-string guitar, that that's really what kind of opened things up for me. So do I consider myself to be, you know, who you, you say I am? Um, I, I don't, you know, I don't. Um, and it's not out of humbleness or anything like that. You know, I just I see myself as a guy who's really got a, a, a you know limited 
amount of, uh, of musical talent, but an unlimited amount of creativity. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. I, I think I did for a moment think that it, I was I was thinking, oh, he's just too humble to understand. No, but you clarified it in a really good way. There's still a moment where you then if you don't measure it from yourself, there's a moment where you're getting recognition that puts you at that higher pinnacle. And I guess I would apply the same question in a way. Is there a moment when you, is, is there a time that you remember realizing that what you were pushing for did place you at a different level than other people? In other words, maybe it was just your work ethic and tenacity that, that made all the difference, but that still delineates you from other people like myself. I never found a way to get to that place. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so, and, and I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not going to look at it like I was lacking something. I don't know what it is, I guess, is where my question is coming from. Is Did you realize, like, it was tenacity, John, or was this moment where you realized you achieved your stuff? Or do you still just figure, I'm still looking forward just to achieve? You know, I yeah, I think, I'm, I think that's more, you're right on the money there with the last one. Um, right. I, I'm still always looking to to improve. Uh, I just never really feel like the goal has totally been achieved. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, the record's done, great, and the and the two records before that, they're done. That's great, you know what I mean. But but there is still so much for me to learn. But the I think the biggest thing I'd have to say, John, is is a connection with this creative person that is my true essence. Right, this place inside. When I can, when I can reach that, and that along with my connection to the instrument or to the microphone or whatever it is, when I can really make that pure connection, yeah, which is like, which is like a, a gold-plated cable of of connection. When I can make that, some pretty magic stuff can happen. That is really not from a mind place but it's from a heart place. Interesting. Is it, is that process like um, a shamanistic process for you? Does it come it, by all the, you know, like kind of putting things together and shaking the earth or does it, is it something that comes from a heart? Like all of a sudden the idea is here and then you have to flush it out. It, it really, I mean, it's, it kind of speaks to, to the sort of the, the overarching um, theme of my life, which is, you know, I'm not a religious person. Um, would I consider myself to be spiritual? Yes. And I feel like there is this unearthly um, force that is available that when you can access it, amazing things happen that you listen back to later and go, wow, how did that happen? You know, um, there was a Quincy Jones um, quote that recently came, you know, and he talks about writing music for money, which I've, which I've done a lot in over the years. Unchained was one of those bands writing music for money, but he Quincy Jones says, when you start writing music for money, God leaves the room oh, because, because yeah. music is no longer sacred. Yeah. So I've, I've got this sacred approach to my creativity now um, that, that, um, that was missing 
in the early years, but I, I am definitely in touch with it. And the more I can get in touch with it while I'm in the creative process, which I take very special care of now, um, the more I can do that, the more powerful the, uh, the results are. Yeah, I can believe that. Do you, you said, uh, I take very good care of now. Is it something that you feel that you didn't um, give the attention due in years past? No, it was very, okay. it was very cerebral. You know? gotcha. gotcha. And now it's, again, it's that difference between writing from the heart or writing from the mind. Yeah. What do you feel? I mean, this is kind of, I guess, getting a little esoteric, which I never mind. But um, what do you feel when you do a song, if someone who's listening to it, do you, are you concerned or would you prefer that they understand the song or do you just want them to understand the, or just to experience the emotions that, that the song invokes? I want a song to me is 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 not a success for me personally if someone doesn't feel something. I want them to feel something. Yeah. So yeah, sure they want I want them to be sonically satisfied, but I more want them to be soul satisfied. That makes sense to me. It does. I mean, I think that's where I would sit if uh people were pondering what I did. I, I think too this would be an excellent place to put in your song my garden mm. because it, well i'll just i'll just play it and let people decide why the because is um it just here we go with that song it's a fantastic addition to the show <laughs> this is my garden
like that because it the the tonal difference and the whole ambient difference of the song itself is not that necessarily that driving harder rock that you do it's still a driving song i mean i think and it's a cool song so how when you do variants that are i think that's kind of an extreme in a way from a rock and roll guy now it's still rock and roll so i guess maybe what i'm saying doesn't make sense does it make sense to you what i'm indicating yeah i mean you know garden garden's kind of one of the exceptions from from the record um yeah there's sort of three exceptions on that record. Uh, Garden was probably the first song that I that I wrote after the Paul Stanley deal fell apart. Oh, interesting. And I just saw this wasteland that my that my life was. Oh boy. Yeah, it was it was a very dark, 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 dark time, right? And, you know, if you listen to the lyrics, you'll get that. My garden was a place where the flowers grew, but it's choked with weeds since I learned the truth. That's a little bit biblical, too, by the way. It is. It is. Yeah. So so that that whole thing came up, too. But there was some betrayal and and things like that that happened, you know, when that band finally fell apart. Um, So, you know, and that was that song really... um, you know, really captured that. And um, it was a hard to bring that forward. Now it, it took a long time for me. That song always had voodoo and it always had a darkness that, that I wasn't really ready to face, but because of some of the work that I've done personally over the last few years, I've sort of made friends with my shadow. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) There you go, brother. And, uh, and so now it's, um, yeah, it's the right time. That, I mean, that is such a fascinating thing that, that it took you, if I understand you correctly, it took you like internal physical strength to actually move that song forward mm-hmm. because it was in a way uh, it possessed, there was a bunch of minor demons living in, in what the song's about basically. I'm paraphrasing what I thought I heard you say. And it's so cool that you shared that. And, and I guess I'm a little perplexed too, because I'm not sure what I want to ask about it, but is there, is there like, obviously I I think I know the answer, but what is the metamorphosis out of that for you personally? Well, I mean, the, the song really, there's, there is no metamorphosis. It's, It's just a really a picture in time. Gotcha. You know, where things were so dark that's like, you know, stay out of this place. Like, don't come in here. Like, this is not a good place to be. Yeah. You know, I remember being there and, and being in the in, in my recording studio that I had in North Vancouver at the time and and you know, being seeing things through the glass and seeing things out of the corner of my eye and knowing that I was playing with some voodoo, man. I was. There was a, there was this some some the darkest time of my life, really, in a lot of ways. Interesting. Interesting. Is, is, do you, um, with your, when you say you, you've worked on dealing with your shadow, is this something that you've taken on in your life as a whole, whole like language that's based in, in inner truth 
uh, shadow being obviously the older psychological terms for, you know, your, the things that are in you that sometimes you're afraid of dealing with. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, you, you may or may not know about me that, that I, that I do, you know, some, some personal development work with others and I have done a lot myself and I think the only way that we really become whole human beings is by realizing that we are equal parts, shadow and light. And if we can come to that realization and come to a understanding with those two, pol those two polarized parts of ourselves is really when we become a whole human being, someone who is constantly in a positive state and, you know, and everything is love and light and, you know, is, is as much out of balance as somebody who is constantly focused on satanic and dark and, you know what I mean? So we have, this is just like there's good and evil, just like there's day, just like there's night we as human beings have dark and we have light also. Yeah. I, that was my polite way of asking if you would talk about that subject. Cause I didn't know if you wanted to bring personally what, you know, the fact that you deal with people in this way, if you wanted to talk about it on the show or not, I think it's exceedingly admirable. I actually uh, teach empathy to doctors. So oh, it's, yeah. So it's kind of, it's kind of in the same line of like just dealing with people on how we can be more humanistic towards each other yes. just by understanding like some basic truths about how we operate. So I, I, I'm delighted that you, you talked about that um, as well. Oh, it's something, it's something I'm so passionate about. John. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you agree that, that like with me, I, I took the job because I was an actor and I got paid to do it. So mm -hmm. I'm, 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 you want me to do what you want me to interact with a doctor's how, and uh, glad I took the gig, but shortly on, a couple of years into it, I started understanding, like I learned the language they taught me to, to say, but it took me a couple of years to, for my physicalness to absorb really what empathy does. Like you, you, you start to see it and you start to work with it and you start to, and you just realize it, 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 it makes for everyone to understand everyone that much better. Did you find if you were dealing with people that you started to intrinsically understand things that you didn't really understand before? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I believe empathy is one of the, one of the greatest gifts that would that we could possibly have as human beings is to yeah. be able to step into someone else's shoes and try to try to see the the world through their eyes if we can if we can do that that's when we really can connect i mean i think that's maybe one of the things that's, that's lacking the most and why the world is the way that it is is because there's no empathy or very yeah. little empathy so um yeah i've always been very much a um a chameleon that way where I can meet somebody on their level. Yeah. And I can talk to them in their language just after being with them, even for a few minutes, you know what I mean? Um, and I feel that's one of, one of my, one of my greatest gifts. And that's also why, why I'm in the personal development world. Yeah. That's interesting. That's, it's funny. That's what I try to do with this podcast, to be honest with you. I, 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 you know, um, try to fit, into that space where the person I'm speaking to seems to 
live. So I have to assess what that is. And then I, I don't change myself per se, but I cohabitate that space with them if, if it's possible. That's what I shoot for, which is basically, I think, what you're talking about. And then it allows, you know, in, in theory, it's a little bit egoless because I'm saying I want to focus on them, which makes it more automatically happen. And I guess I just, I'm just reiterating, I think, what you're saying, that I experience the same and the rewards are amazing. They are, especially in, in powerful conversations like the one that we're having right now. Right. As, you know, as you've really tuned into into me, and um, and by doing that, you know, then then I I'm free to speak about myself. Exactly. And I feel compelled to speak about myself. And I think that that's that's really the goal of 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 us as as creatives, um, and as human beings in general is is to get people talking about themselves. Yeah. That's where the real beauty happens. And that's where the bridges are born in these beautiful relationships. Yeah, because ironically, <laughs> to your point, I don't, even though we're in a world where everyone can express themselves with their thumbs and, you know, immediate communication, I don't think people are still being allowed to, to talk about themselves and express themselves, really. Not They're, fully, not right. fully. Yeah, it's, like, it's at a surface level all the time. Yeah, it's like they're re we're really good at yelling at each other right now, even if it's with our thumbs, right? But it, which is part of communication. I understand that, but it might not be the healthiest part of communication. Um, but that stuff is great, man, and I, I am glad. I I was hesitant to kind of try to move us into that conversation because I think I didn't want to be disrespectful to you, but I think it's an important conversation to see that, you know, a guy who's a rock star basically thinks that people count. You know you what? Know? It's the main reason, it's the main reason that I, that I do what I do. I mean, this, this, this torch of rock and roll of this new record is, is, has been the greatest gift to myself. It's a torch that was born when, when I would, when I got that first kiss record, it's, it's it, when I, when I went out, my parents wouldn't let me play the guitar in the house, so I had to go out to a granary, which is a place where you where you hold the grain, one of these, like a big silo type of building. And I will never forget hitting, cranking my amp to 10, hitting the very first chord and going, <laughs> oh my God, this is what I'm supposed to do. This yeah. is it right here. And knowing it, you know, without any reservation whatsoever. But that gift, that torch of rock and roll that was lit then, it's a gift to give to others. And that's what the Torture Rock and Roll album is. It's not about, about me crowing about what I've done or where I've been or where I'm going. It's about this fire of purpose that was lit when I was 13, that even though all of these things have happened in my life and there's been many highs, there's been very many lows, some of them extreme, that that torch is brighter than ever before and here it is i want to give it to you yeah man that's some passion happening there i appreciate that um here's what i would like to i'd like to put you you on the spot and say what of your catalog can we put on the show now what would you like to hear oh i think after that conversation it should be torture rock and roll that's what we're gonna do then baby <laughs> okay <laughs> Feel the fire, keep it burning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That is the torch of rock and roll, baby. That's the way to travel, if you ask me, man. That's some serious <laughs> vibe, vibrage. Never, there, never, man. never did I think that I would be that I would write a song that was really, in many ways, an autobiography. Well, I think that's a cool thing. I think that that's a good place to write from. I mean, I think you have to put some years on the planet first before you make that uh, put that together, because you go, you do want to. I think. It coming from source material but i think it's great dude yeah thank you yeah 
Absolutely. I think, too, we should definitely take the time to let people know where they can find you online, because that seems to be the nature of business these days. Yeah, of course. I mean, the place to go is torturerockandroll.com. You know, everything, everything that you want, you can find there. And, and yeah, it just it just goes out from there. Man, I cannot thank you enough for our conversation today. I think it was a pretty bold uh, conversation in ways. And I think it was an enlightening thing to fans of yours to, to say, oh, I, I see what this cat's about a little more. And I think it's especially good for people who didn't know you before the conversation. So I, I thank you very much for coming on and talking to me. John, it's been the greatest pleasure. And, and uh, I have to say that uh, you're, you're an amazing uh, interviewer and you made it very easy to, to speak. So thank you thank so you. much. And, and thank you to all, the, uh, all of your fans out there at Pluto Radio. Um, uh, I hope to connect with them personally myself. Well, we're going to have to get a lot more of your music on the station for one thing. Fantastic. You're, I'm you're gonna, welcome to have anything you want. I'm going to take care of my due diligence on that one, brother. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Have a great afternoon, man. Hey there, this is John. I want to thank everyone for listening to the Mobile Radio Carnival at the CEF.world. I also want to say, hey, thanks, Tim, for being on the show. 